man, it's a good day to be in church. It's a good day to be here worshiping God. And so I'm so excited today to talk a little bit about um, serving and what the scripture talks about with that. It's interesting because in the scripture, Jesus is always uh, taking the culture and flipping it upside down. He's always in scripture saying, hey, here's what the kingdom looked like. And it was hardly ever what the people expected. They would expect Jesus to say and do different things or describe different ways that the kingdom was. But it was constantly, in so many cases, completely different than what they thought. And Jesus would ask his disciples to behave in ways that were counterintuitive to their nature. And I feel like he continues to ask us that today. So often we our first reaction, how many of you would say your first reaction is often not the reaction that later Jesus tells you you should have had? Anybody, anybody else besides me in the room? All right, all right, a few honest people over here. Because so often Jesus is asking us to act in a different way that the culture would say, that the world would say, and especially that our flesh would respond. So I want to give you an example of this in Mark 10. 42 through 45, so Jesus calls the disciples together, and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." So what he's saying is this, the way that people were gaining authority and gaining power and gaining control is they were lording it over the people that they were, that, that they were over, that they were lording the authority over. But Jesus is saying that this kingdom, when you become a Christian and you live in God's kingdom, it has a whole different set of rules. It's nothing like the other kingdom that you live in. The greatest among you is the servant, not the person who has all the power. Not the guy who can manipulate his way to the top. Not the person with the biggest bank account. The greatest is the servant. And Jesus says, he did not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest man in all of history that deserves us to serve him in every single way comes to earth and says, no, no, I didn't come here for you to serve me. I came here to serve you. And I can imagine the disciples having a little bit of this moment of like, what do he say? What? Because that doesn't make any sense at all, what we've learned and what we've understood and where we've lived in the kingdom. Now, it's interesting because we can actually assume that Jesus' listeners that day didn't fully get the point. Because in Mark 10, uh, just a week or two later in the timeline of scripture, they gather together for a meal, a Passover meal. And when they get to the meal, traditionally there's a servant there that washes everyone's feet, but there isn't a servant there. And so if you remember the story, if you've read it before, Jesus himself takes on the role. And he gets down and he washes the disciples' dirty, dusty feet. Each of them, even Judas, who was the man that would later betray him, just, just moments later, really. And the disciples are blown away again, and they don't understand it, even though just a few chapters before, Jesus tells them. Then he shows them. And it's so amazing to me, because Jesus felt entirely comfortable doing this menial service, because he was sure of his true place in the hierarchy of things. Jesus had nothing to prove. 
He had no worries about his status. He had no worries about his image. It wouldn't hurt his reputation to get down and serve other people because he knew who he was. He knew he was God's son, and he knew what that meant. In fact, in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, Jesus made uh, excuse me, being made in human likeness. And so Jesus already takes a step down from heaven to come to earth. He already puts on flesh and comes to us. And so for him, washing feet is no big deal. He's already taken this giant step, this giant sacrifice. He's already made this huge statement. And I feel like we see all through scripture how Jesus just continues to close the gap between being this expected king messiah, what we think a king should act like, what we think a king should look like, to being a servant. And, and many times in the scripture, people try to crown him. They try to, they try to put him on a pedestal, but he continues to place himself on ground level. He continues to help uh, meet people's practical needs. So he, he could always just make this bold and clear statement that he had come to serve and not to be served. He wanted us to understand that so much that that was his point. He could have gone and, and, and only healed all of the most, um, all the kings and everybody in power so he could gain influence and, and then he could become, you know, the, have power and the most authority in the land. But you know what? Jesus typically healed the woman in the scripture that has no name. Nobody even knows who she is. The daughter of, of somebody that, that whose heart was breaking, the, the, guy, the tax collector in a tree who came down. He picks these people that are ordinary, that won't give him status or clout because he is just communicating to us over and over and over. Listen, I have come to serve and not to be served. I believe that Jesus clearly tells us in the scripture that the servant is the greatest of all, but also his life is congruent with this truth. Everything he did speaks this. First of all, Jesus believed all people were equal. Now, I think that's something you would probably say you think, like if you were in a conversation, but so often we don't act that way. It's very difficult in, in this culture to give everybody the same amount of value. But you know, it was so amazing in the scripture, pagans, cultists, broken people, diseased people, poor people, marginalized people, they all were comfortable in Jesus' presence. Why were they comfortable? Because he was nice? Well, yeah, Jesus was nice. But also because he turned what the culture valued upside down. He said, listen, this isn't how it works. If you, don't, you, you can't have a lot of money and, and that's what gives you time with me. Or, or you're really attractive, and that's what gives you airtime. These, these are not the things that the culture values. He said, this isn't how it works. These things don't give you value. And he disrupts the system by way which people were getting their false redemption. People that believed because they were talented or, or attractive or wealthy or because they knew somebody, that, that their life counted. He said, no, no, that's not it at all. That's not why your life counts. Your life counts because I love you. In the scripture, at one point, Christ says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Do you remember that one, that analogy? 
And so what this means is a man like that, a man at the top of a food chain, they will have trouble seeing their need for the beauty of Christ. But a servant, someone who has nothing to offer, they'll cling to God easier. But what's so amazing is both the servant and the rich man will need God's help equally for redemption. And so Christ says, I'm going to level the playing field of all of humanity. You are all equal in one death on the cross. My blood on the cross shed will be good enough for everyone. It will be required for everyone, but it will be good enough for everyone. Also, Jesus was plain in appearance. This scripture in Isaiah 53, 2 through 3, we, we don't talk about a lot, but it says he, it's talking about Jesus. It's a pro- prophetic word. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. I believe there's a reason why God made Jesus plain. God made Jesus like like every man. He looked like the, the typical Hebrew man at that time. And it was as though even that, Christ looked the part of the message that he wanted to communicate. That all people are equal. That Jesus didn't have to be handsome or attractive to have value. He didn't have to have a lot of money. He didn't have to be born into the king's mansion. He didn't have to have any of those things because he came as an average, everyday, normal, plain guy. You just look at him and except for the fire in his eyes and the life pouring out of his heart, you would think he was just like everybody else in the culture that day. But what he was trying to communicate to us is that God is the one who gives us value. That none of this exterior stuff gives us value. So even in in his own skin, in the plainness of who he was, he had this great and amazing value. And because of that, we can be servants freely because it is not anyone else who determines how important we are but the Father. So we don't have to worry about gaining ground. We don't have to worry about proving ourselves to other people. We, we can let go of all of that competitive nature in us because we do not have to prove to the world that we're valuable. We are because Jesus put that in us. And so he says you can serve freely. You don't have to worry about impressing anybody. Next, Jesus showed his servant mindset because Jesus loved to be with people. It's interesting, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, those are two religious radicals. They sat down, and during their time on earth, they wrote a book. Jesus never did that. He, he never wrote down even his own words. He, you know what he did? This was his strategy. He accumulated friends, and he allowed them to write about him. He allowed them to talk about him. He allowed them to testify about him. He said, I'm going to eat with people. I'm going to attend parties. I'm going to pray. I'm going to travel. I'm going to work with people. Because you know what? Out of that is going to grow this testimony of who I am. I don't even need to write it down. Because they will. And then the stories of what, the way that Jesus loved people, the stories of the way that Jesus gave people value will be the stories that we will read for generations and generations and generations. He didn't have anything to prove. Those who knew Christ personally went on to do amazing things. They were fueled a lifetime of joy and health. These guys, they they spent their lives 
with Jesus faithful to the end, many of them dying for Jesus, being martyrs. Jesus didn't try to acquire power over them. He, he didn't demand that they do things. He loved them and he served them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus spent his 33 years on earth serving other people. That's what he did. People didn't believe Jesus was God because they didn't expect him to look like that. They, they wanted Jesus to come down and be rich and good-looking and respectable so that their religious system would make them look good. They wanted someone who could redeem them to their jury of peers. But, but God came down and he served and he cared about the poor and the sick. That's what he did. Day in and day out and day in and day out. And this was Jesus' agenda and this was his only agenda. To serve and not to be served. So the takeaway today is simple. This is just the thing that I boil down to, to one sentence. So when people say to you, what was church about? You're not like, I don't know. That hurts me. That hurts me. I stay up at night when I hear people say that. So this is the takeaway today. Serving makes us more like Jesus. It's so simple. But it's the thing that, that I believe in all of these scriptures and even in the way that Jesus was created that he's trying to help us understand. That serving makes us more like Jesus. Scripture tells us we're built to serve. I love when this happens. Jiva comes up to me. She says, I have a word from God. It's this scripture. I said, hmm, I'm preaching that scripture in 20 minutes. <laughs> and God says, it's like I know what I'm doing or something, you know. And so here's what I have in my notes. God sets each member of the body in place. In 1 Corinthians 12, God speaks about this subject, and he says, and you just heard it, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. Now, Jiva's Indian accent makes it more interesting, but follow along with me. <laughs> it goes on to say, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. So you cannot kick yourself out, okay? That's what that's saying. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, this, this, this passage is specifically in the context of spiritual gifts. It's talking about all the spiritual gifts that God distributes. But here's what I believe God is saying in the bigger picture with this passage and many other passages in the scripture, and it's this, everything matters. It all matters. God sets every member in its place, every body part, and it all matters. So when you start to think, it doesn't matter if I get to church on Sunday, no one will miss me. Or, or that tithe is incidental. It, it just won't matter in the scheme of things. It's just, it's just a little bit. Or working in the nursery, no one even sees me or serving up the food or, or adjusting the sound or these, these tasks that seem little, what does it really matter? When you start to think that, God is saying here, it all matters. You matter. It all matters. Because each member has a job and each member has a part. And he continues in 1 Corinthians 12, and it goes on. Uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head, head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, I almost wonder if when Paul was writing this, he was saying it almost like sarcastically, you know, like a little bit like, wouldn't that be ridiculous for us to say that? 
On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So in high school, I played soccer, and Joel made me put in here, I mostly watched soccer from the bench, but I did have a jersey and a number, and I went. But one of my teammates, a good friend of mine, uh, in her senior year, she tore her ACL, and it was painful, it was awful. We were brokenhearted. She wanted to go on to play in college, and it was a scholarship, and she was out of commission. And the ACL ligament is one and a half inches long and a half an inch wide. You you could put it in your pocket. But this one tiny ligament out of place literally crippled her entire body. And it crippled what she believed was to be her future. And the scriptures are reminding us today that we cannot devalue ligaments that God has set in place simply because they are not prominent or acknowledged. That God has set you in place, every sinew, every muscle, every ligament. And every serve team is important. Every place God asks us to serve is valuable. It's worthy of our yes. And when we don't serve, when we don't act on what God is asking us to do, I really believe the scripture says that the whole body walks around crippled and immobilized. My friend was on crutches for the rest of her several months after that, just so she'd get herself back up and running. And even when something that appears as small as an ACL ligament is displaced, the whole body suffers greatly. I feel like if we could see in the supernatural that we are really just limping around as a church compared to our potential of running, compared to our potential of soaring. Because when we begin to have these thoughts like signing up for kids ministry or youth ministry or passing the offering bag or shoveling the snow on the sidewalk doesn't really matter. God is saying, do you realize how much that decision you are immobilizing the body? Because it all matters. Everything matters. It all matters. Every single thing that we do, every single attitude that we do with it, it all matters. And what happens when one part of the body isn't carrying their weight, the other part of the body has to compensate. If you ever had an injury, if, you're, if your one leg or, or, or foot is bummed, the other foot has to grow in strength because half the body has to compensate for the other. And so what happens is half the body's burned out, tired, and weary, and then the other half is weak and frail. If we would each say yes to where God is asking us to serve, I really believe that the body itself would not have to compensate for one weight or the other, that we would have such momentum, we would have such strength, that we would have such forward motion, that the body could love and build and send more people than ever before. Who could then love and build and send more people than ever before? Who could then love and build and send more people so that it could impact our city, our state, our nation, and I believe even our world? Every time the video says that, I cry a little. (laughs) 
Because I believe that God's vision for this church is so much bigger than we think about day to day. That in the supernatural, God is asking Erie First Assembly to make a mark that nobody else can make. In 2009, a composer named uh, Eric Whitaker did an experiment on social media, and, and this is what he did. It was amazing. He asked people from all over the world to sing a part of a song, a harmony, a melody. I don't know. Quint knows that stuff. But, and he took these videos, and he made them into this virtual choir. The last piece he directed was from 2,200 singers in 80 countries from around the world. I just want you to watch really briefly. This is just a small blurb of what this composer did. like watching that on YouTube this week. My mind was blowing up. Basically, Whitaker takes individuals and he meshes them together to make a sound that they could never produce on their own. They will never meet one another. They're from countries all over the world. But he says that this, he, he, he meshes them together and they created this virtual choir. And just when I heard about that, in my mind, it was just another analogy of the body of Christ. That everyone matters, that everyone has something to give, and together it forms this beautiful creation. Now, sometimes we don't serve because we feel like we don't have much to offer. But little is much when it comes to serving. In Exodus 4, 2, God and Moses are having a conversation about this serving mission that God is asking of Moses. And Moses is reluctant. He's a reluctant shepherd because he believes he does not have much to offer. He says, I'm ordinary. I'm simple. I stutter a lot. I'm a plain man. God, I don't know why you pick me. What if I screw up? What if I don't make the right decision? What if the people throw tomatoes at me and boo me off the stage? I can't do this. I don't know why you're asking me to do this. And God looks at him and says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, only a staff. That's his words. And I imagine he's probably thinking, this same staff I carry around day in and day, day out, I sleep with it, I wake up with it, it probably has sheep feces on the bottom because I'm pushing the guys around. I mean, this is just my staff, it's only my staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. And in that moment, God works a miracle for Moses, the first of many, and he uses what little Moses has to do it. And God makes a point. He says, Moses, you don't need anything but what you already have and me. And that makes a miracle. You don't need anything but what you already have and me. And that's what makes a miracle. What little we have is more than enough for God to use. When we willingly offer our small abilities and assets to him, he makes worthwhile stewards of his glory. 
And so what we need to do is we have to stop talking about what we don't have and start giving what we do have. And I really believe if we start doing that, we will activate a miracle. We will activate a miracle with the staff in our hand. If this is all I got, God says, I can work with that. You just lean on me. You just put your faith in me. You be willing to serve and not be served. And I can work with the little that you have. Maybe right now you feel like God's asking you to do menial things. You're in this season of life where you change diapers most of the day. Maybe you're stuck in a job that that you do not like. Maybe you're raising a teenager who's driving you out of your mind. Or or maybe you're taking care of a parent who's also driving you out of your mind. (laughs) Because I'm realizing the full circle of life as I get a little bit older. I want to encourage you. Stay faithful serving in the small things. Matthew 25, 21 says that if you will be faithful with little, God will make you faithful over much. Serving makes us more like Jesus. Now, here's the deal. Yes, we need help to make church great. We need help with the kids. We need help passing the the, uh, baskets for the offering. We need help setting up food sometimes. We need help with that. We, We need, there are significant needs in this body that God designed for us to take care of together because this is our church. This is, this is what we own. This is the things that we need to steward well. Those are all things, yes, absolutely. But let me tell you, more than that, more than that, why I am asking each person that comes to Erie First to serve on a team is for this reason. There is something about humbly dying to self, giving up your time and your resources that makes your heart more like Jesus. There is something about serving that I believe nothing else can create that character in you. No, no other thing, no, no 101 class, no, uh, no particular experience you can have. There is something about serving, serving in the small things, serving in the insignificant that makes your heart more like Jesus. And that is God's vision and desire for Erie First and for every church. His desire is that his disciples would follow him and be more like him. And if serving makes us more like Jesus, then that's precisely what we're going to do. Because isn't that the goal? To get more like him. A few years ago, God spoke something very clearly to me about my life. And it's a phrase that I often use in my prayer life. It's, it's a phrase that comes out in my conversations. In fact, if you have been around me very long, you probably heard me say it because it, in some ways I, I almost believe it's like my life vision. It's what God has spoken to me about my life. And it's this, I can put my yes on the table without even knowing what God is asking me to do. Often I'll hear God's voice in my head, put your yes on the table, Nicole. Put your yes on the table. I can say yes to God before I even know all the details, before I know what it will require of me, before I know what I will have to give up for it, because God is worthy of my yes. God is worthy of my yes every day. And this is my prayer for us today, that we can put our yes 
on the table, without reservation, without holding back. Because the writer of Hebrews describes people who say yes to God. Let me tell you what it says. You can get excited when I talk about this too. Through faith, through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword, but the world was not worthy of them. I am so thankful for the people in all of scripture that said yes to God and that God showed us the faithfulness that happened. And even as I mentioned in our vision video, I am so thankful for the men and the women that have said yes to God in the history of Erie First. But we are not done yet. And if this generation, if you and me do not say yes to God, then the vision for this church and the kingdom of God in this area will not go forward. And I don't want to be part of that quenching. I don't know about you. I want to be part of moving it forward and not giving up. And part of that is going to be us saying, yes, God, I don't even know what you're asking me to say yes to, but yes. I don't even know all the details. I don't understand everything that's going to take to, that, that's, that's going to change my life. But God, yes, whatever it is, I just say yes to you. If you aren't serving anywhere yet, God wants your Yes. He wants you to start diving in. He wants you to come to church to serve and not just to be served. Boy, that is a mindset in our culture that, that is so hard to break. But we often come to this building to get filled. We come to say about me, if I liked the music, if my attention was kept, if, it was, if I felt welcomed, if I, if I, if I, if I, and we, we all are, are guilty of that. And you know what Jesus is saying? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You thought that, but it's this. Did you go there and serve? All right. To serve and not to be served. So here's what we're going to do. Would you, if you take that yes card, it's on, in, in your pew, and if you need to pass them down so everyone has one, we just take one of these. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to have you fill out your name and, and that kind of thing on the top of this. And if you are willing, if you, if you haven't found a spot to serve yet, and you'd be willing to help, you'd be willing to do something, and I want to I tell you, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, you know that thing I've been talking to you about that you keep telling me you don't want to do because you, you really, you don't want to hold a puking baby? You know, that, you know that thing that makes you get there a little earlier, so you're going to have to like wake up a little bit earlier, and I know you don't want to do it, but that thing I've been talking to you about right now? I mean, I'll just let the Holy Spirit do that stuff, but I believe that God has been speaking to many of you. Maybe you've been serving in one place and God's asking you to have faith enough to, to serve in another place. But I'm going to ask you to fill this out, and it's pretty self-explanatory, but here's the deal. Some of you are going to say, you know what, I already serve, and I'm so thankful for you. So many of you guys serve faithfully, but you have a role this morning too, and that's this. I would like you to still put your name on there and fill it out to signify, you know what, God, you have my yes. 
I believe I'm serving in the right spot. I believe I'm helping people out. That's great. But above that, God, you have my yes. Anything you want me to do, I'll do it. Anywhere you want me to go, I'll go because you have my yes. You are worthy of my yes, even though I don't know all the details. Even though I don't even know what it's going to take, to the sacrifices, but you have my yes. And so if you, if you aren't able to make it up here physically, I want you to give it to somebody next to you and they could take it up for you. But this is how I'd like to respond today. We're going to play a little bit of music. And once you filled this out and you prayed and said, God, I, you have my yes. I, I put my yes on the table before I even know all the details, before I even know what it's going to take for me. I want you to come up here and physically put your yes on the table. Sometimes we have to do things in the natural to make sure they happen in the supernatural. And I'd like everyone to participate and come up and put it on the table. All you got to do, nothing crazy or weird is going to happen. And, and then we're going to pray and then we're going to go eat lunch. So let me pray briefly right now and then we'll cue that music up. Jesus, I thank you for the men and women in this room. And I thank you for the way you've already prepared them for this day. And God, I ask that if you would like someone to serve in, in an area or in a different area, God, that you would prompt them even now that they'd be obedient to you. But more importantly, Father, I pray that everyone in this room, we would come before you and say, God, you are worthy of my yes. That we will go where you want us to go, we'll do what you want us to do, and we will serve who you put in our path. And God, as we do that, serving will make us more like you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for saying yes. And I believe that God has big plans for your first. Thank you for being part of the family. Have a great day. Enjoy your lunch. <laughs>